Acts 14, beginning in verse 6. It says, They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, and I'm not going to shout this, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Let's look at 11. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, In Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So this was a very pagan place, a place, a place that did not have the gospel, a place that was wicked, full of idolatry. And let's pray. Father, today we come to you and Lord, we ask that you would give us help in this passage. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what your son Jesus has done for us. We know that there is power in the blood of your son Jesus. And so right now, Lord, we ask and we pray that that power, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move and work in the hearts of those that are here. Lord, I confess that I cannot do anything first off without you. But secondly, Lord, I cannot do anything for those that are in attendance this morning. If you don't build the house, Lord, we just labor in vain. And so we ask, we beg of you, Lord, to move. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Acts chapter 14. Um, last week we spoke of the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ himself and not coming to bring peace but a sword. Everybody remember that? Not coming to bring peace, but a sword. Very difficult passage of Scripture. How many ears did it hurt to hear that Jesus came to bring a sword? Anybody? It does. It's, it's, it's not something that we hear very often. It's not something that is spoke on very often, especially nowadays. But we know that Christ didn't come to bring peace according to God's Word, but a sword. We spoke of the dividing work of Jesus. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, it divides in how it separates. And it's true, it does. But in heaven we have peace. And these two don't contradict at all. We have peace. You say, how, don't, how, how do they not contradict? You say, we, we don't have peace, but he came to bring a sword. Well, I told you how. Last week he came to bring a sword, and we have that sword here on earth. It divides the lost from the saved, the, those that love Christ and those that don't. And it's true. Well, how does that bring peace? Well, it brings peace between us and the Father. There is reconciliation that takes place when we trust in Jesus Christ. And I went through all of that and explained all of that, and I don't want to go back through that. Um, 
So we're going to be talking about Paul and Barnabas today. They leave Iconium because of the people wanting to stone them. Interesting fact, the people that wanted to stone them follow them. We, we don't see this until later on in the text. But the people in Iconium, they just don't leave it alone. When Paul and Barnabas leave, yeah, there's somebody that's hot on their heels. And they're going to follow them to this new place where they're ministering at. And we're going to see that the next time we meet. But I just want to start by saying that just because they flee to one city, because the scripture tells them when you have persecution in one city, flee to the next. So they did that. But persecution is still going to follow them. So we have to understand that they didn't get that reprieve very long. Um, they maybe a day or two, I don't know, it doesn't say, but they, they were granted, I'm sure, a little bit of reprieve as they preached, as people were being saved. Uh, we know that according to 6 and 7. Paul and Barnabas, they leave because of the people wanting to stone them. and They flee to this place and the surrounding countryside. And there in verse 6 is where they are at. All right. So if we're not careful, we're going to miss. We, skip, we would skip 6 and 7 and say, well, those two verses are not important. But they're extremely important because they tie us to verse 8. And what happens in verse 8 is something, well, you say, well, 6, 7, and 8, yeah, they're, they're in order for a reason. Well, of course. But they tie us to verse 8 for a reason because there's a man there in verse 8. There's a man in verse 8. And that man, if you skip 6 and 7 and you don't see where they're preaching the gospel at, you would say, well, that man just came to the knowledge of Christ all by himself. Not true. Not true. Paul and Barnabas had been preaching, teaching. They were currently preaching in this region. Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia. They were preaching the gospel there. They continued to preach there in the countryside. It doesn't tell us that they went into the synagogues, does it? They've been going into the synagogues up until now, right? This is quite possibly the first place where we see where they don't go into the synagogues first or where it's not recorded. It doesn't say. But we don't see that they went into the synagogues first, but rather they were preaching to all. Anyone that would listen, wherever there were people. Country folks. Good old country folk. Out in the countryside. Out in the towns. They were letting them have it, man. Paul and Barnabas was going about and they were preaching. Our text this morning tells us of crowds that had gathered to listen to them. Look at verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, or when the crowds saw what Paul had done, showing us that while they were there, people were coming to listen to Paul and Barnabas. So you have to read a little bit on into the text to see some of these things. But there were crowds and people were gathering. Remember, this whole time they had been preaching. They were doing the Lord's work this whole time. And the people where they were at, they were people that were ignorant of the gospel of Jesus. 
They were completely ignorant of the gospel of Jesus. It hadn't gotten there. Not until Paul and Barnabas had brought it. The people in this area, modern day Turkey, were extremely, extremely pagan. Extremely pagan. They loved their Greek gods. Loved them. And they really loved them. I'm talking like sacrifice, weird stuff. I mean, it was, it was pagan. They loved their Greek gods. They had a temple built right outside of the city. And it was put up for Zeus. At the entrance of the city. And, and we know this because it's in the text. Further down. But that temple had priests. That stayed in the temple sacrificing and, and trying to draw the attention of Zeus. Now we know Zeus is pagan and Zeus is not real. But they loved their Greek gods. They had this temple for him. And Zeus was the, the main attraction, if you will, in Greek mythology. He was the one that it was all about. And I want you to pay attention to me because I'm getting to my point with this. Zeus was said to have had a son named Hermes or Hermes. Call him Hermit. Call him whatever you want to call him. I wasn't real. But he was said to have had a son. Zeus being the main event or the main powerful God is how they viewed him. He had a son whose name was Hermes, which meant this, herald or proclaimer. So the region that they're going into is following Zeus and following Hermes, which means proclaimer. And it was even said that Hermes was a herald from the gods to man. Sound familiar? The go-between. The soul guider into the afterlife. It was said that he could go freely from one place to the other. The reason why I'm telling you this is it's, it's really important. Really important. Even though we don't believe it, I want us to see what Satan's been doing since the beginning. He's been selling a lie. He's been selling a lie, a counterfeit that is so close to Christianity. So close to the truth that it's hard to tell the difference. And the world follows it. Zeus being the, the main attraction. There went the time. I just knocked it off. I don't know why that was up here. But Zeus being the main attraction. His son being the go-between between him and the world. Satan always has a counterfeit. Always. Don't think for a second that people don't worship something. Everybody worships something. Everybody. Everyone. This is why man is guilty of idolatry. Guilty of it. Guilty of worshiping the creature more than the creator. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, it tells us this. Thou shalt not have no other gods, what? Before me. First commandment. He says, do not have any other gods before me. 
Our Bibles tell us that creation itself testifies and proclaims and that it preaches the power of the Creator. We see it in the majesty of the mountains and in the power of the rivers. We see it in the spring, every spring where dead comes to life. We see it all over the place in the heavens when we look up. We see the stars and we see the sun and, and the moon and all of these things. Surely to goodness there is a creator of these things. And in fact there is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. All things were created by Him. And so everybody worships something. And just this fact alone that He is the Creator God, and we can see that when we step outside these doors... Just that simple fact alone leaves man without excuse. Leaves him without excuse. Don't think for a second that mankind is innocent. I used to think, well, they're innocent because they live in a third world country and they've never heard the gospel. They're innocent because they don't know any better. I'm going to tell you this. You can go to any island on this planet as far as you want to go. Any jungle on this planet as far as you want to go and remote as you want to go. Any desert and any hole, any cave on this planet as far as you want to go. And there will be people worshiping something, good or bad. They're not innocent. They're guilty. Guilty of idolatry and guilty of sin. Guilty of breaking the first commandment. Guilty. Broken. And in need of a Savior. Guilty. Not innocent. Verse 7 tells us this. That they continued to preach the gospel. There they continued to preach. Verse 8, now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. And guys, I just, I can't get away from this, this morning, this text, because, you know, I could have skipped this. I could have skipped what it shows us. Y'all probably know where I'm going with this. Um, but you just can't go around it when it's there. And you just need to listen. Just bear with me. Listen to what it says in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man. You need to circle that. You need to circle man. You need to circle man. It says, sitting who could not use his feet. You need to do that. He couldn't use his feet. He was, he was lame. It says he was crippled from birth. You need to circle that. And it never walked. This is going to be our outline for the next few minutes. Even though I have spoke extensively on this with multiple examples given to us in the scripture, I still find it very pertinent and very necessary that we do not go around it, but rather glory in it and show it. 
It's interesting to me that the very first person that we meet with in this new area where Paul and Barnabas go to is a man. Doesn't give his name. They say he's crippled. Been that way since he was born. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a religious person. It doesn't say anything about him. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't strong. You can imagine. When you cannot use your feet, your muscles begin to deteriorate. And he was this way from birth. Sitting in his sores. Basically useless. Would have been a burden because people would have had to take him everywhere. They didn't have the Cadillac wheelchairs there. Push the button on the side and you do a wheelie and stuff. They didn't have none of that. Matter of fact, you go into a third world country right now and, and people would give their arm to have a wheelchair so they could move. But if they did that, then they wouldn't be able to go very far. That was a joke. They'd go in circles. If they gave their arm, you get it? Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Anyways. So here this man is, okay? And he is sitting there. A burden and a hindrance to, to people that's around him. And he's, he's always having to ask for help. He's just there. And before I go any further on him... I want us to show you what this man is going to represent. And y'all know where I'm going with this. But he's going to be a type of representative of mankind and also this town. Because he's the first person we come into contact with. The first person we meet with. He's going to be a type of man kind and kind of a representative of this town this man cannot use half his body remember he was lame and what we have to remember is that outside of God's grace and you know where I'm, where I'm headed outside of God's grace we are alive physically but dead spiritually and this is a truth that cannot be stressed enough. Alive physically, but dead spiritually. The scripture calls it half dead. Remember the man that the Good Samaritan helped in that story, in that parable? Says he was left and he was half dead. That shows us what we are outside of the grace of God. Alive physically, dead spiritually. This man could not use half his body. What was he bound to? What was he shackled to? He was shackled to the world. Shackled to the dust of the earth. Shackled to the mud when it rained. This man was half useful from his waist down. His legs and his feet. He was bound to the filth of the world. He was helpless. He was hopeless. Wallowing around with sores and 
This was from birth. He came out broken. He came out broken. Needing to be fixed. He came out busted. And this is what we see. So did every single one of us. You say, I've, I've not been in a wheelchair, Brother Matthew. I, I'm not half dead. If you're outside of Jesus, yes, you are. You might be physically alive, but you're dead spiritually, deader than four o'clock, deader than a hammer. I mean, deader than roadkill. Can't say it any more better. Zeus and Hermes couldn't help, couldn't help this man. Remember, they had all of these gods around them. To no avail. This man was still sitting. He was still broken. Still half useful. But we don't only see that, but we also see an entire town. We see an entire city. An entire countryside. Who were in need of supernatural Help. Help outside of themselves. The one man shows us a picture of what the lost are in the condition of this town. I think that we can see that pretty clearly. The lost condition of this man, what we are, the lost condition of the town... Spiritually dead. Children of the earth. Mud kids. People of the world. Outside of God's grace, this is spiritually what they looked like. This man that we have sitting who Paul and Barnabas encounter. But remember, Paul was called to be a light unto the Gentiles. This is to shine bright, preaching the word so their hearts could be opened. So that light could shed abroad in their hearts, revealing sin and their lameness. So that they would see a need for a Savior and run to Him. So that they could, by faith, stand up. Spring to their feet just like this man does in our text. This is why Paul was sent. To bring light to the Gentiles. Verse 9 says this. He listened to Paul speaking. This man was listening. One of the biggest problems that ministers have is getting people to listen. It is. You get used to my voice and then it just kind of lulls you into a place and before long you're at your house in your mind and it's, it's hard I've been there, it's hard this is why when you have somebody new come in or a different speaker come in everybody hears them for the first time and they get something out of it and the reason why is because they're listening the scripture says he listened to Paul speaking 
He was listening. He was soaking up every word of the apostle. Every word. Paul could see this. But what was he listening to? Well, verse 7 tells us what he was listening to. He'd been listening to the gospel. He'd been listening to stories about Jesus, these truths that Paul and Barnabas were sharing about this miracle worker. About this Savior who could do away with sin. This is what this man was listening to. Everything that pertained to Christ, this man was soaking it in along with others who were believing. You say, how do you know there were others believing? The reason why I know that is if you go over to verse 20, you can see after that Paul was stoned, the disciples were gathered around him, those that were in that city that had trusted and believed. They were gathered around him. So he was having success here. But this man was listening intently. Verse 9 says this, And Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Paul is preaching. He is very intense. Anybody ever think that I'm intense? Anna raises her hand. <laughs> My child. He is intense. The truth of Christ is pouring off of this man's lips. Paul, this apostle, his truth, the truth of Christ and the doctrine of grace, all this is pouring off of his lips. He is a chosen instrument to, to strum out a melody to the heart. This is his job. This is what he is called to do. He is intense about it. Intense. Paul could see that this man was being affected by his preaching. You would be surprised at what I can see from the pulpit. See people sleeping. See people pretending to listen. See people playing on their phones. Send people, see people even sending text messages. That's kind of cool sometimes when you see that. You know, you have one that's doing it to this one and vice versa. And it's, and it's, you say, you can see all that? Yeah, yeah, I can. It's pretty obvious too. You can't, you can't really hide that. One person looks down at the phone and they're doing this and the other person's over here and they're... You'd be surprised at what you can see from up here. I can see all of it. I love the kids. I love the babies running around and talking. Sue Anna and Jessica, bring them. Bring them. Let them talk. It's okay. Don't worry about it. People do all sorts of things. Paul could see that this man was being affected by what he was saying. Whether this was a supernatural thing that was taking place from Paul that he could see or whether it was just he could see it because it was welling up in his heart. He could see that something was taking place in this man. He could see the goodness of God swelling. 
bubbling up in the heart of this crippled man. Paul looked intently at him and he said this, Stand up! Can you imagine the power that came from those words? This man from birth had been on his, off his feet, obviously. He says, stand upright on your feet. Paul gives the command and the man stands up. The man whose legs were shriveled, weak, whose tendons had not been stretched. This is a miracle. A miracle. No muscle. When you don't use it, you lose it. Right? No muscle. He receives power and he leaps to his feet and begins walking. Now pay attention to me. When Jesus told Lazarus to come forth, what happened? He came forth. When Peter told the man at the gate, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have is Jesus in the name of the Lord Jesus, get up. And what did he do? He got up. When Christ Jesus told Jairus' daughter to rise, She got up. And here we see the effects of the Spirit of God working in this man's life. The effects of the Spirit of God. We see it in this man's life. We see the effects of the Spirit of God in type in a person's life right here in this text. And this is why we have to continue to go over it and I cannot pass it. The Bible says the wind blows where it wishes. And it's true. You can't contain it. You can't stop it. It blows where it wishes. You can get on your phones and you can see that it's coming from the north and going to the south. But you don't know why. Because God's in control of that. But I tell you one thing that you can see is you can see the effects of that wind. You can see the effects as it blows the rain sideways, as it hits the leaves in the trees, it makes a noise. Or the leaves make a noise, rather. Those big old tall pine trees, you can see the tops of them, and they sway and they won't fall over because they got a taproot as tall as them, but they will sway to that wind, and you can see this. You can see the effects of what has happened. When the wind blows. And so it is with everyone, listen to me, that is born again of the Spirit of God. You will be able to see the effects of the Spirit of God in a person's life. The wind blows, the trees move. The Spirit, when it engulfs a person and comes into that person's life, and when that person is saved, they stand up! 
They testify. They're not ashamed of it anymore. They're not because they're not on the ground. They're not next to the world. They're not in the dust. They're not in the mud anymore. They're not lame in both their feet from birth. They can walk. And he's not going to say, oh, wait a second, Paul. Wait a second, Jesus. Give me five more minutes on the ground. Give me five more minutes on the ground. No, indeed, he ain't going to say that. When healing came to him, he jumped up instantly. There was no waiting. There was no pausing. There was no hesitation. Instantly, he jumped to his feet, sprang to his feet. You could see the effects of the work of God in this person's life. No longer of the world, but standing upright and useful. Able to go and to do. And the th- I mean, this guy was different and the people could see it. This was noticeable. This is not like we got people today saying, well, well, this one, their depression was healed and, and their high cholesterol was healed and they touched, laid hands on them was healed. No, 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 no. No, you could see the effects of the true work of God in this man's life. He wasn't the same anymore. He was a new creation, a new creature. He carried something that was different, a new song. He wasn't down with the world anymore. He was up. Upright. Pay attention to what I'm telling you. Please. I'm almost done. Those that are born again are not lame anymore. That condition that they have had since birth, that half-dead state... They're not in that anymore and they cannot go back to it. They're not bound to the earth anymore. They're not wallowing in their own filth and their own sores anymore. They're not half dead anymore. They are new creations. Able to spring to their feet and you could see the effects. It's true. Matter of fact, this man, you could, you could see it. Everybody could see it. They knew who he was. They knew who he was before. But now he's changed. You can see the evidence of the moving of the Spirit in a person's life. You can hear a difference in their tune. They're changed. Transformed. Light and immortality, or life and immortality, has been brought to light. He didn't want to go back to the ground. No, he was upright. Now listen, I'm just, I'm just about done. Pay attention to me. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. He wasn't ashamed of his healing and we shouldn't be either. 
We shouldn't be either. Yes, the man in our text shows us the supernatural work of the Spirit in a person's life. It does. It shows the effects and what will the effects of that, what happens to that man. He stood up. Those that are born again, it's the same thing. Life has entered them and they stand up. There's, there's not a shame there. They don't go back to the bed to lay back down and be crippled. But everybody can see it. I want us to understand that. Everybody can see it. Everybody knows it. They proudly walk on their two legs. Right? It would be absurd to think that this man would not do that. They proudly testify to being born again. Now when we meet the next time, when we meet again, we'll, we're going to see some really weird stuff take place in our text. Weird. I'm just going to say it. Um, that's fixing to happen with Paul being stoned and what takes place there. I mean, it's just really bizarre, the behavior of these people and those that worship these pagan deities. It is very, very bizarre. Uh, and so we're gonna, we'll look at that next time. And, and as we stand, let's go ahead and stand. If the message of the cross is burned in your heart this morning, don't be ashamed to testify to that. Speak of it. Tell of it. That's what we're called to do is to be lights. We're called to share that. And I know that you guys have heard me preach this, this particular thing multiple times, but when I'm presented with it in God's Word, I can't, I can't go around it. It just so happens that that's all through God's Word. 